0: Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hey there, thanks a lot for checking out the podcast. Coming up, Doug Brown on What's Up with the Bombers. They've lost two in a row now. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen will be on the podcast and the couch potatoes on what's new in theaters for the Terry Fox Long Weekend. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. All right, let's talk a little bomber football, shall we? We got Doug Brown hanging out on the phone. Let me just play a clip here of Coach Mike O'Shea after that heartbreaking loss last night. Coach O'Shea from the
1: post-game show last night. It was a tight contest, and they made their last plays, and we didn't. So, uh, you know, I said this, they they earned it, and uh, and we didn't do enough to earn this victory.
0: Coach O'Shea, Doug Brown, good afternoon, sir. How's it going, Hal? Excellent. Thanks for doing this, Seward, Coach. I mean, yeah, that's what happened, but should we be worried here two in a row?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly not ideal or what anyone expected to, uh, you know, for a 5-0 and football team that was just uh, blowing football teams out, and, and, you know, they beat a good team in the Edmonton Eskimos, and they were finishing teams by halftime by margins of, you know, 21 and 31 points just two quarters into a game, so... When you lose your first two games to a quarterback, one quarterback by the name of Dane Evans and another uh, Bethel Thompson, who uh, a lot of people, myself included, hadn't really heard of much about, it's, it's a little surprising, right? It's, it's just inconsistent. I think that's probably the most damaging aspect of what went down with this football game is that it leaves people not sure or not knowing what to expect from this football team on a week-by-week basis. I mean, Some weekends for the first five weeks, we saw them come out and, uh, you know, they have enough depth and talent. They can overcome anything and and just score at will and play great defense. And then uh, we have just learned of late that, you know, a a team that was winless and uh, certainly does not have a marquee quarterback or another team that had their starting quarterback go down in the first quarter. Uh, these teams can give the Winnipeg Blue Bombers fits, and that's what really I think, creates a little discord in people is the fact that you're not really sure where you're going to get with this football team right now, and it doesn't, it doesn't play true to the, their identity and what they were trying to establish as a football team. What they were trying to have as their characteristics uh, for successful football, both offensively and defensively.
0: Yeah, Peter just sent this text in 204-780-6868. He says, "How, we're only a third of the way through the season, things will be fine. Relax." But when the Bombers lose a couple like this, as you point out, to quarterbacks that are are not uh, you know, the best of those teams. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you have to be nervous as a Bomber fan, don't you?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, and that's it. The the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are, are pretty healthy right now, you know, for, for the most part. And Dervin Adams wasn't in that game, but Andrew Harris is, is playing great, and Chris Matthews finally got out there, and Adam Big Hill's back in the fold defensively, and, you know, there, there are guys being worked in there. So it's just uh, – it's a head-scratcher. And, uh, you know, and, and I think it just – it just brings you pause when you think about, okay, well, how will this team compete or match up on any given day against this team? And obviously, as you get closer to the playoffs and stuff, that's when you know, the margins for winning and losing become a lot smaller and a lot tighter. And you know, I can see, I can explain this performance uh, partially. You know, If you look at uh, how Matt Nichols played in the Hamilton game and he threw three interceptions, the natural human reaction when you make mistakes is to not make those again. But I I think he overcorrected against Toronto in the sense that he was like, okay, I turned the ball over a number of times. That's not part of my identity. That's not who I am in terms of being a ball-secure quarterback. And so he he overcorrected the other way where I think he got too conservative. Um, He didn't want to push the football down the field. He wasn't looking for guys. Or, or willing to put anything up that wasn't a high percentage pass. So, you know, they have the ability to get over this. And, and fans are correct in the sense that, you know, there's plenty of time. Every team goes through a funk uh, in a year, unless you're Calgary some some seasons. And, uh, you know, it's better to have a situation like that right now than it is, uh, you know, at the end of the season where they're going in the playoffs. I got
0: to play a clip here. Bob Irving uh, on the postgame show talking to Andrew Harris because, a lot of people. I think you guys even said on the pregame show last night they didn't use Andrew Harris enough against the Tie Cats. And last night they started out using him, but then some are saying he wasn't used enough later. This is Bob Irving asking Andrew Harris about that on the postgame show last night. Take a listen. You guys seem to go away from the run, which was working so well. I agree. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, you average ten yards a carry, I think, and uh, and yet the. For periods, it seemed like they went away from you, and sometimes we we find that a little bit difficult to understand. And it, if you guys make a first down there after the fumble recovery, probably the game's over, right? Yeah. Yep.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know what to say I, I, I agree with you.
0: You know, you can say that Matt Nichols overcompensated, and they're in a funk. But but what about that? What about uh, the lack of use of this incredible weapon, Andrew Harris? Or what it seems like that to me, as a casual average fan.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, anytime a back is over a hundred yards at halftime and 150 on the night and the kind of average that he had and a couple touchdowns that he scored, uh, you know, he shared that with us after the game, he was obviously in the zone and when a, a football player is just, you know, everything's slowing down around them and they're just feeling it in a game. You just, you didn't need to feed them the ball in as many different ways as possible and just get them to rock because they're just being so successful. It's hard to imagine them being stopped. Now, uh, you know, there were a couple times in the second half where they were able to uh, penetrate and, and disrupt him in the backfield, but, you know, that's that's the nature of running the ball, and, and like you said, he was the most successful offensive weapon the Bombers had going for them last night, so it's hard to imagine when things got most critical and most dire and most urgent that they didn't return to him. You know, that's, uh, that's something that's a bit of a head-scratcher in, in this scenario, but... You know, it's uh, it's all water under the bridge right now, unfortunately. Yeah. But, yeah, it wasn't just a thing, a situation with the players last night, too. Obviously, I think there's lots of regretful uh, uh, play calling being done as well.
0: And now we get ready for Calgary. We sure don't want to lose our third in a row Is there anything we can do, uh, you know, is there anything the Bombers are working on, do you think, or do they just go, hey, yeah, another, you know, two in a row sucks, but you move on and keep doing what you're doing, or is there something that they can work on to try and and turn this around?
1: Yeah, you know, I I think, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. We'll find out what the mental toughness of this football team is, right? Uh, They're obviously, uh, it looked like they were very affected Uh, by what happened in Hamilton, Um, they came out and they they started great. They started like we expected them to start and play against Toronto, but you know, to just lose your sense of urgency and and focus to that degree, I can understand it being taken away to some percentage because you're playing a winless football team and you're up by 20 points very early in the game, but to completely deflate like that and be unable to, to operate at any degree of efficiency is, is, is pretty surprising. So, uh, I think their coping strategy of, you know, being able to flush uh, a game, whether it's a win or a loss, I mean, that's really going to be put to the test because uh, this is uh, this is an eyebrow raiser, an eye opener in, in the sense that Toronto was playing horrible. Um, they don't have a very good quarterback, and they just got their first win against you, so that can affect your morale of a football team. It'll be very interesting to see how this team, uh, this football team, responds against Calgary.
0: Hey, I played a couple minutes from the Bomber podcast where you were talking about the week in Guelph and you said, gee, I hope I don't have to write a column about the mistake uh spending the week in Guelph. Will that be, about, will, will that be the subject of your column?
1: Yeah, you know, it might because uh, I, I didn't understand that at all. Uh, obviously, I've spent uh, some time on some road trips where we chose to stay out you know, east or stay out west due to convenience and for travel situations, but... Six days between games isn't really a short uh, time period. It's plenty of time to go home. And it's just about routines, right, for athletes and yeah. about infrastructure. Right. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of things you can say. I, I never liked, the longer you stay on the road, the more you're disrupted in terms of your diet, in terms of your training, in terms of your habits, in terms of your comfortability. And uh, for me, you know, it, it's probably an experiment gone wrong, but that's just my opinion.
0: All right, Doug. Hey, listen, thanks a lot for doing this. Enjoy your long weekend.
1: No problem, brother. Same to you, my friend. Good talking to you. Yeah.
0: Doug Brown, number 97. We call him Big Bird. You ever see Doug Brown out there? You just walk up to him, doesn't have to know you or anything. You just walk up to him, and you go, man, you're tall. How tall are you? He hates it when people ask him how tall he is. What what about, call him Big what's Bird? the weather like up there? <laughs> right, yes, yeah. No, just, just how tall are you? He hates it. He hates it. I like Doug Brown. He's fantastic. And, and I also like, here's what I like about Doug. Doug's not afraid to be a little critical at times, right? And I think that's important to to have that voice. We all want the Bombers to win, uh, but I think it's uh, important to look at things that way uh, sometimes. One more clip I want to play from the post-game show here last night. Matt Nichols, who did not have the game, that we were hoping he would have, and Doug talked a little bit about that. Here's what our quarterback Matt Nichols had to say on the postgame show last night here on CJOB.
1: I hate losing and everything, so uh, they all really hurt. So uh, obviously it sucks. Losing sucks, and uh, nope, just as same thing as we do with the win. Is you know, it'll suck for 24 hours or so, and then you know we'll get over it because we're we'll playing another good team next week. Yes, you
0: are Calgary Stampeders. Let's hope they can turn it around. Let's hope they can go to six and two against the Calgary Stampeders. My name is Hal Anderson, and joining us now for his regular Friday house call, Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Very good. It's good to be here, as always. Yes. Thank you for coming in. Appreciate it. Um, we've got a few things that we want to talk about here, but I want to ask you about uh, a question that I posed at the start of the show today. Sure. I sense that people have lost interest in these two fugitives, this, this man, and I was just noticing... RCMP uh, were giving regular updates. They've okay. now come out and said there will not be any updates from them over the long weekend unless there are significant developments. Mm. And, and I sense, and maybe I'm wrong, and people are telling. Some people are saying I'm wrong. Some people are agreeing. I sense that we've kind of lost interest in this as we, you know, as the hunt continues. But it's certainly changed and it's uh, downsized somewhat. What does that say about, and and we're guilty of this in the news media mm-hmm. too, losing yep. interest and moving on to the next big yep. story. Yep. These two are still out there. They're suspected killers. Uh, we should care about this, and I think we have, but I feel like we're losing interest. We've kind of moved on. Mm-hmm. What does that say about us? Is that is that Does that say anything about maybe our lack of empathy,
2: mm. or is it our life now that's mm-hmm. just go, go, go? What is that all about? I don't think it's necessarily that we don't care. I think that there's a difference between uh, a value or caring about something or being empathic about something and paying attention to something. Now, there's, there obviously are similarities in that what you value, you're likely to pay more attention to. But in terms of threat and in terms of like things like the news or, or um, attention focusing, it's usually more about kind of this negativity bias. We have a, a threat sensitivity to us. So, you know, you, you think about the uh, saying like, Oh, you know, stop and smell the roses. Well, we don't really need a saying like stop and watch the tornado. Like you don't need that saying because we do it naturally. We actually need a saying like that to help us focus on something that's pleasurable. Even though people will will unanimously say they are enjoying the rose and appreciate the rose more than the tornado, their attention will always go to the tornado. And we see this in the research. I mean, if you give people different news articles and you put it in front of them and they think they're just waiting for an experiment to start, they will read the threatening um, negative news more than the other news. We are negatively negatively oriented, threat oriented. If you put uh, positive That's words... That's just human nature, isn't human it? It's human nature. Yeah. If you put positive words in front of people and negative words, they will respond faster. They'll hit the buzzer faster with the negative words than with the positive words. Like baby, if you say, whenever I say a word, hit the buzzer and you say baby, they'll respond slower than if you say bomb. They, uh, if you have a word search or something like this, they're more able to find the negative words than the positive words. Uh, People are just completely oriented towards this because we need to keep ourselves safe.
0: So as uh, more and more people, I think, believe that these two are maybe in the bush up there, dead Mm -hmm. already, Mm -hmm. as that threat level decreases, at least our perception of it decreases, We lose interest but, and move
2: on. That threat stimulation, it's like, oh there's a threat, they're there, they now it's kind of like, well, what's the news gonna say about it? Well, there's not there's not a really big threat oriented message. People might feel threatened but it's not nearby, we don't know where they are, you know, like it's it's kind of becomes more and more vague. It might take some time before we find them, the threat becomes more distant. But if we all of a sudden, oh, they're still in Manitoba or you know, like or something like that, I don't know where they are. Uh, I don't want yeah. to take this context. text. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if, if you all of a sudden get that message, then all of a sudden people get reoriented toward it because it, reoriented to it because it's more present. We're also kind of oriented towards novelty too. So if you put those two things together, if you get new news about something negative, people will invariably kind of orient themselves to it and that's so it's not that it's not that the media is training people it's that the people have trained the media in order to know what actually is going to draw people's attention.
0: So we kind of move on to another story when we go, people are probably, yeah. you know, kind of moving on. And mm-hmm. yeah.
2: And now it's getting quite sophisticated. Whenever I go into these TV places or everything, you can kind of see the social media counters. It's like right. people really know oh, absolutely. what is drawing attention and the focus will go to those things.
0: Yeah, but that's also the way it's become for the average person mm, now too, right? right? It's about likes, right? Oh, yes. how many likes did my post get? Or? is anybody paying attention to this, right? right? Yeah, it's a different time. It is a different time. We have a lot of metrics on this now.
2: (laughs) Yes, It used to be like, I think if I advertise more, I'm selling more, I think. Now it's like, well, I can actually kind of measure this a lot more accurately. Yeah, and I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I I don't know if that's a
0: good thing or not. Uh, So Dr. Cyrus is here to talk about a few things that we planned on talking about. Here are the headlines. I'll start with this one. Easing fears about shift to middle school can pay off in behavior and grades. I got to tell you, when I went from grade six to grade <laughs> seven, so I went from uh, elementary yeah. to junior high. Yeah. That was a, and I was a, a fat little kid, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember I got a pair of jeans. Right, I'm going to junior high. I mean, geez, I got to try and up my game a little bit here. I got my jeans and I was like, Yeah, I got the jeans. And I remember when my buddy Greg Blair said, Oh, right, what are you wearing those stovepipe jeans for? Those are, those are stovepipe jeans. And I was just mortified thinking, Oh my God, now I'm going to junior high and I'm wearing stovepipe jeans. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyhow, that's enough about me. So, uh, we, what do we do? Do we try and ease? The the fears is the headline indicates here and and that helps the kids when it comes to grades and stuff like that.
2: You know, it's interesting because sometimes you get this fatalistic thing going, right? Where it's like kids are just gonna they're gonna sink or swim, you know? And, yeah. and we don't know what we can do about it because uh, you know, high school's tough. Well the first thing to say is the transition it can be very important. Research kind of shows that uh, you know, people who struggle in those initial parts of transitioning to high school, you know, around that, uh, you know, early teenage years, uh, can be, it can make a big difference, uh, to people's lives. It can, it can predict academic decline and, you know, social dysfunction and things like this. So it is an important issue. This is not just kind of fluff stuff, you know, like we want our kids to make a good transition. And what they did was they had, uh, you know, kids doing writing exercises, and the writing exercises were fo- focused on the, what they called angst, that you might be feeling as you're about to go that angst that you were experiencing like oh my goodness what's going to happen i got to get some genes, you know and uh, so the articles they were what they were really doing is normalizing and they're like this angst is normal you're going to find people if you're having trouble fitting in or with academics there's people there who can help you with this who can help you with the transition and just a simple exercise like that normalizing it helping people with their anxiety and giving them so this idea that they um that it's that they can get help if they need it, reduced discipline, the requirements of discipline, by 34%, increased attendance by 12%, and reduced failing grades by 18%. Hmm. Uh, Just helping kids to not feel so anxious about that first couple weeks in a new school. So... This is, you know, very very light intervention for such a big effect yeah. and it uh, makes you wonder, makes you know, we should be thinking about this.
0: Well, and that's interesting because I think some parents listen everybody has a, a different personality sure. and and kids are naturally going to be anxious about changes in schooling like that. Yeah. But some parents get even more wound up than the kids do, right? <laughs> yes. And and so what you're saying is, as a yeah. parent, you got to try and calm it. It's going to yeah. be fine. It's going to be okay. Yes. Instead of getting worked up and wound up, because that could affect them oh, in school. Yeah.
2: One of the things that I tell parents when they come in is, um, you want to give your kids the impression that you can manage them. Uh, you know, a lot of parents when they're out of um, when they're feeling overwhelmed by the stress of parenting will kind of tell their kids, you know, things like, man, you're so tough to manage. I don't know what I'm going to do, you know, and things like this. And unfortunately, that gives your kid the impression that... You can't handle me. You can't handle me. I'm out of control. And... And, uh, you know, so that means I'm, I'm terrible as a kid and it means that my life is kind of out of control because if you can't manage me, then who can? Mm. Um, and so then behavior starts to decline. So anyway, the idea here is as a parent, I mean, it'd be ideal if you could actually feel this way. But even if you can't feel this way, what you, you want to work towards is giving your kid the impression that you can manage, you know, whatever they throw. You can go back to your bedroom yeah. and cry in the pillow <laughs> right, later, you yeah. know. it's like <laughs> Go and say to your wife or your husband, oh my God.
0: But in front of the kid, and you've got to say, hey, yeah. I, we got this. The example it's, I it's give okay. is, you know,
2: you come home and the house is burned down and your kid's sitting there and it's like, well, you know, and there's insurance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's insurance. Yeah. Let's go get some McDonald's. There's some. Right. There's insurance. We're gonna manage this. And Then you can go cry later. Yeah. You
0: know. Well, and there is truth in all that, right, Doc? Because I, I mean, I remember as a kid some things that worried me and bothered mm-hmm. me, right? Yep. And and later in life, you don't even remember that stuff, oh, yeah. right? It it does, and and that's why I I mean, uh, you know, when somebody takes their own life, it's mm-hmm. tragic. Yes. But when you see a young person take their life yeah. over sometimes things that in ten or Mm fifteen years will not matter.
2: Yeah. Well you see kids are anxious about the oddest things sometimes. Yeah. And you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I gave you that impression that, you know, we were out of food. I you know, I just didn't want to order the pizza. You know what I mean? And like you thought we were broke and you were anxious about it or something like this. You know, sometimes it can be uh, you know, just out of the blue. Yeah. And so as you get older it can still happen. These irrational fears obviously and and it is sad when you kind yeah. of take those permanent actions, that's yeah, for sure. That's for sure. All right, next headline. The
0: pain of depression. What's the correlation, what's the connection between pain and depression?
2: Well, I remember it was another show uh, that we were talking about, not exactly this topic, we were talking about breakups and how, I forget which one, it was Tylenol, I'm aspirin, I'm not sure. Anyway, one of these medications, pain medications, actually help people with breakups, with the kind of pain of breakups. And hmm. so then we got this research, which is kind of interesting, and so... Basically, what they're saying here is that the areas that are kind of associated with depression are associated with pain. The effect of pain medication or the effect of antidepressants actually affects this pain center in your brain, and uh, it's also the neurotransmitters that are involved in pain are the same kind of neurotransmitters that are involved in depression, like uh, serotonin or norepinephrine or GABA. And uh, inflammation is connected with. Uh, depression and also connected with pain like ibuprofen is actually an anti-inflammatory apparently Uh, and and uh, so if you take an anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen it helps you with your pain well these this kind of same process is involved with uh, depression as well and another one is that if you're depressed you're actually more likely to be sensitive uh, to pain Uh, and I've never had to say this out loud so bear with me um, hyperaligia, well, I just read it, anyway, this is the kind of connection, that's the, yeah. that's the word for having increased pain sensitivity hmm. uh, when you are depressed, uh, so um, it's just this interesting connection between pain, and you know, when yeah. you're you, talking about suicide, right. you know, when people are, are thinking about this, oftentimes they say things like, I can't stand the pain, hmm. uh, you know, of what I'm experiencing. And in my clinic, I often talk, even with anxiety, I talk about anxiety as basically being psychological mm-hmm. pain. So, uh, yeah, there is a connection here. And, and another one is chronic uh, chronic pain is often well, associated just say with depression. Th- that is, that is mm-hmm. such a trigger. Oh, yeah. If
0: you're dealing with incredible pain, mm-hmm. depression definitely yeah. comes
2: along with it, yeah. for yeah. sure. Yeah, so, I mean... I think, uh, you know, it kind of begs the question of can we improve our antidepressant medication by focusing on pain, but oftentimes pain medications can be addictive, so you kind of wonder where uh, that would go, Uh, but it's just kind of this interesting Mm -hmm. connection where where we often separate pain and depression and anxiety, but oftentimes they're very... Kind of in the same camp. I've said this before. I find our conversation
0: sometimes like this one very interesting because mm-hmm. we we now say, oh, there's some kind of a connection, mm-hmm. and then maybe in ten years yep. or five years or fifteen years they go, hey, bingo, we got it right yeah. here. Is yeah. the and then we've got cures or yeah. we're better to able, you know, better able to treat pain yes. and depression because yeah. of connections that yeah. were evident. Just a little bit before, right? A little and, bit before. And directed
2: the research. And, yeah,
0: and who knows, right? Who
2: knows? Hopefully hopefully we get there where we can get something uh, that, that's even more effective.
0: Heading into a long weekend. Love it. Uh, as I said earlier, I think my wife and I, uh, Jackie and I, plan on checking out uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's the new Quentin Tarantino movie. Looks kind of good. I think we're going to see that on, on Monday night. So we'll get to the lake, get up to the Icelandic festival, and then... Come back Monday and and check out that movie. If you're thinking as well of checking out a movie, our Couch Potatoes, Brett McGarry and Jeff Braun now. My co host Jeff Braun is super excited about this weekend. And this weekend, it's the movie event of the year. Come on. Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. I'm dealing with the future of the planet. A necessary shock to the system I am human evolutionary change bulletproof superhuman who the hell are you? bad guy the mission has been compromised
2: we need help
0: ooh I wonder who they'll get to help we're gonna need the best trackers in the business Luke Hobbs I'm what you call an ice-cold can of whoop-ass. Career lawman always gets his guy.
2: We're going to need to operate outside the system. Deckard Shaw.
0: I'm what you might call a champagne problem.
2: Rogue former MI6 agent. Doesn't play well with others. If we stand a chance against Brixton, you guys have to work together.
0: No, no way. way. This, this guy's a real Hobbs and a.k.a. The Rock and Jason Statham, need to take down Idris Elba, who plays a bad guy, and he's basically a supervillain, like he's scientifically modified himself to have super strength. We've joked about it before, but the Fast and Furious franchise is now literally turning into a superhero franchise.
1: Look at you. I'm trying to save the world, which, for the record, will be my fourth time. i'm really good at it
0: the interplay between the rock and statham was by far the most fun thing about the fate of the furious and the whole operation is so ridiculous anyway so i'm fully on board for this weird spin-off. three shocks will kill a man there we go it's a bad guy speech
2: you had to open your big mouth, did you, huh? Yeah, I thought it was a cool thing to say in the moment.
1: That's what's new with the movies. I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Jeff Braun, we are the Couch
0: Potatoes on 680 CJOB. Yes, you can hear them this weekend, uh, tomorrow at noon, Sunday at 6 p.m. You can also get the podcast, uh, the Couch Potatoes podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can find it at CJOB.com. It is there now. You can get it early. Before they're on the radio, they are in podcast form Brett McGarry and Jeff Braun, our couch potatoes here at CJOB.
2: Hal Anderson
0: Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts,
2: and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.